Listeners be advised, the Holiloquy podcast discuss matters related to the human experience and many that are sexual in nature. Due to this, some conversations may surround triggering topics such as sexual violence, self-harm, abuse, and much more. Please be advised, a list of crisis and psychological resources will be available in the show notes of this episode. With that said, let's get started with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention please as we go through the following safety instructions. In the event that there is a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen mask will drop from the overhead. Place the mask over your nose and mouth. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Holiloquy Podcast, where we step out and speak about sexuality. This is your favorite host, Vernon T. Scott, also known as Sebastian's Adams. Again, pay me my motherfucking money. Uh, and also known as Slater Jackson, book link in the show notes. Look at all the links in the show notes, people. What you need is going to be there. I promise you. Um so today's episode, I have Sharita back. We will be talking about sexually transmitted infections, also known as STIs. And for those who are not up to date on the lingo yet, STDs. Um, so Sharita, now that we have you back on the podcast, do you mind introducing yourself once more and tell everybody about what you do in the beautiful and wonderful world of marriage and family therapy? So yes, hi, I'm Sharita. Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I typically right now work with kids, but I have started to kind of open up my practice and working with couples as well as just like uh, young adults. And um, the awesome thing about marriage and family therapists is just like being able, as a person of color, being able to be there and be there for people when the way that I needed it when I was younger. So when I was younger, I wished that I had, there were opportunities for therapists. A lot of them were Caucasian and there's nothing wrong with having a Caucasian therapist, but I did find myself having to kind of over explain my own culture to them on top of the issues that I was dealing with and kind of the intersection of that. And so having a person of color, um, I think it's just so much better. It reduces that stigma around mental health and I always say, have a therapist. Everyone needs a therapist, no matter what. Mm, yes. And um, just to uh, connect on one thing that you mentioned about um, just having to explain yourself um, to a therapist uh, of a different background. I know even with my first therapist, uh, I did find myself having to do that very often. Uh, and having to over explain yourself or even um, go into that greater detail does kind of cut into the quality of your uh, your therapy session because you only have like an hour or so if that um, it's more so like 45 minutes and that's outside of any awkwardness that you might have at the beginning of the session it's it, the time is ticking and having to go into that detail takes away some of that time that you really need towards focusing on reflecting and healing uh, or even just bringing up whatever trauma that is impacting you at that moment. Um, and even with having someone of the same race as you, um, there you, you might even have that same issue. You do have to shop around when it comes to therapists uh, so that you are connected you're connecting with somebody that you can not necessarily see yourself in, but that you are open and able to be vulnerable with without having to over-explain, without having to um, take yourself out of the session just to bring them up to speed on everything that's happening. So definitely shop for your therapist. Um, the I will say the most important thing is that first meeting. I 100% agree. So like for me, I'm a queer therapist. Um, so 
you know, a lot of people within the queer community, they'll see therapists, but then those therapists may have their own like religious views or their own ideas, even if they are a person of color, may not be, they may be more judgmental. Um, so please, please, please like shop around, look for people, read their bios. So typically when you're looking for a therapist, there's the psychology today and it'll give you a little snippet of their bio and who they are. When you're looking for therapists, read that. See if that's something that sounds like something you'd want to be, you'd be interested in. Um, mm-hmm. So do your research with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last episode, you did mention that um, you're in you're in school now to get your certification uh, in sex therapy. Uh, before you get into yours, I uh, I do want to mention my reasoning behind wanting to do that because one one reason well not necessarily reason but I know that there are therapists who are uncomfortable with talking about sexuality which can lead people uh, most definitely when it comes to their relationship with their partners lacking in a sense because your sexual expression impacts a lot it can impact your levels of anxiety um, depression or whatever the case may be or even if there's some kind of PTSD that's associated with how you express yourself and because uh, not necessarily that they're not trained in but they're not comfortable with um, talking about that you're not going to get that service with uh, with that particular therapist so that is one since I'm very, very, very open and uh, loving of having those sex conversations, that's part of the reason why I am pursuing uh, marriage and family therapy and then um, pursuing sex coaching and sex therapy is to have more access to individuals who are willing to have those conversations with clients uh, even if it is like uh, in a consulting capacity or even uh, a partnership with their main therapist just to help them out. Um, but Sharita, why are you on your journey to be a sex therapist? Yeah, and um, kind of piggybacking off of what you said. So as a marriage and family therapist, as someone who works with couples kind of on a regular basis, nine times out of 10, you can't have a conversation about couples and not talk about sex. Sex is very important in a relationship, even if they are asexual, the fact that they are asexual, talking about that, talking about intimacy, how do we figure out what forms of intimacy are going to be used since you may not like this, you know, actually having penetration sex, right? So that is super important. And that is something that I've found a lot of therapists not feeling a comfortable talking about sex is such a taboo subject for a lot of people Mm. um and not feeling comfortable in not being fully educated on right making assumptions about what that looks like making assumptions if someone is overly sexual what that means about that person and things of that nature i also really got into it because i realized as a whole as a society because sex is so taboo i think Actually, even though we're hypersexual, um, the like education around sex is not very thorough, right? So there's so much emphasis on having sex, going on Tinder, hooking up, <laughs> hookup culture is at large, but there's not enough conversation of, okay, if I swipe right on this person, I meet up with them, are we exchanging STI results? Mm. Or what's even look for on an STI result, right? So the, or even education on what STIs are, right? People talk about HIV and AIDS and um, chlamydia, gonorrhea, all of those things, but they don't even know what that looks like, what that means. Most of the time when people have an STI, it's asymptomatic, but they don't know that. They assume, well, I'm good because I don't see any bumps or I'm fine because my partner said they were fine and they got a call from the doctor and the doctor said, you're good, but they didn't look at any of their results. Right. So part of that pushed me into it. And then also with my own journey of like discovering that I was HSV positive and going through that process. Mm -hmm. And how uh, because this is switching into um, (laughs) the conversations about STI. Uh, How how was that journey for you uh, with um, grappling with your um, uh, having um, HSV2 or HSV1? I believe it was HSV1. Okay. Yeah. So how, how, how is, how was, how's that journey for you? Uh, or how has it been? 
Um, so yeah, um, I was actually fully educated on like HSV. So her HSV is herpes simplex virus. Um, I was fully educated on it when I was younger. So I knew what it was. I knew that most people would get it. And I wasn't like scared of it to that same extent. Scared of the like, you know, there was a taboo-ness of like in sex education of like what it's gonna look like on your body, right? Mm-hmm. But as far as actually having it, like that wasn't like having a virus, it's not that big of a deal. We all have viruses at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, when I got diagnosed, it was kind of weird because I never, as I said, I was, a, well, I haven't said it. You can be asymptomatic. And so I was. And the people I was with, I would have those conversations with them. Do you have, you know, going over SDI results, but not necessarily didn't do my due diligence in making sure that everyone showed me their results, but like we talked about it. And so um, what I didn't realize at the time that previously at my doctor's office, I hadn't got tested for it because typically it does not show up on the, like, they do not test you for it. Most of the time, doctor's office will not test you for HSV because of how common it is mm-hmm. and the stigma around it. And so then um, I end up getting a test results where they actually did test for it. And I was like, kind of shocked. I didn't know really how to take that. And then I um, kind of went down this like rabbit hole of like, well, does that mean that I'm going to have like bumps on my mouth or bumps on my genitals? What does that mean? Because I did know that HSV1 can be oral or genital and just like HSV2 can be oral or genital, but they always try to separate the two a lot of the times in sex education, but they're the same exact virus. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was aware of that, but I was like, okay, like freaking out, didn't want to touch my body, didn't know what that meant. Um, And then I went down this rabbit hole of just like, luckily with social media, uh, there are so many people who are opening up and talking about their experiences. And so luckily I have found this one girl on YouTube, he talked about, who talked about her experience and she was 17. And it was just like, something about watching this girl who just around the same time that I'm finding and dealing with my journey she was just dealing with her journey too I just happened to run across it um and watching her kind of come to terms with that and then like something about that watching that and then um on Instagram there was this group called herpes could never and there was a whole bunch of people who look like me black women um who have who were diagnosed and like their journey and what to look for, prodrome symptoms. I learned way more about HSV. Like I knew about it, but like I learned way, way, way more about it just from being involved in that. And then I went down this rabbit hole of like learning about the statistics, like transmission. What does that look like? How do I transmit this? What does this mean? Blah, blah, blah. And then um, it was just, it, it was like a kind of a shift. So at one point I was like, no one's going to want me. Like, to me, I know it wasn't a big deal. I know, obviously, people talk about they having cold sores all the time. That's the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that one is more stigmatizing than the other. And for me, because I had HSV but didn't have symptoms, I couldn't say I had cold sores. So I think that would have been, that's more stigmatizing than just say I have HSV, but I don't have anything versus cold sores where people kind of, there's like this disassociation of like, oh, cold sores is not really a virus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through that process of like, well, no one's going to want me. Um, but I would like, as soon as I meet someone, tell them like, Hey, this is what I have. And like, actually, except for one experience, most people were like, okay, like, what does that mean? And then like moving forward, which was like crazy to me. Cause I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> In my head, I thought this was such a stigmatizing thing. And it is like, you hear those jokes. There's always, you don't realize how impactful these jokes are into your like the the like population that they're joking about so you're like you know I'll watch like tv and stuff and they'll make jokes and I'd be like oh okay whatever and then being someone who's like diagnosed I'm like oh that's hurtful and that's just ignorant and you don't understand you know so it's just so weird um so yeah and then then I just kind of got to a point where it's like oh this I mean I I didn't have any symptoms I continued to get tested and then it was a learning experience for me because I knew that like in in my study and research and what I've learned about it 
by the time you're 50 something, you're going to pretty much be diagnosed with it, but you won't know because most people don't test for it, but you're, you'll have. The Holiloquy podcast focuses on the variability of sexual expression. When it comes to sexual expression, we often depend on pornography to illustrate how one must perform sexually. For those who have not learned this by now, the stuff you see in porn is not real. Pornography provides a singular perspective of sexual expression that is not often the reality we see during our own sexual encounters. The Holiloquy Podcast is a conversation that takes you outside of the compressed box of what many know about sex. Some of the topics we discuss include kinks, condom usage, status disclosure, and past sexual experiences. The Holiloquy Podcast steps out on sexual norms and recognizes that the norm is not the only normal. Subscribe today and join the conversation. You won't know because most people don't test for it, but you're, you'll have it because people aren't testing for it because it's super common. And you can be exposed to it 10 years ago and never have an outbreak, never it never show up or anything. And then when you're like 70, have your first outbreak and never like, never know who gave it to you never know any of that because you didn't even know you were exposed to it right uh and i know like even for myself because uh i found out uh, uh i had uh, i have hsv1 um last year i don't know these years are like all kinds of together now but um like even when i was talking to someone about it um uh, it was it turned into an argument and with me understanding how people, uh, well, it was an argument on their end, uh, how people can react to that and just being willing and being understanding of that reaction, uh, just educating them like, hey, it's something that's not really tested for at all. Uh, I probably wouldn't even known about this if I didn't, if I would have gone to the same clinic that I went to last time. It's just this clinic that I went to this time because uh, I was out of out of uh, the city that I originally was in, um, they tested for it and this came back. Uh, I get that you feel some type of way. Uh, I respect that, but also know that this is not me lying to you. This is me just learning something new about myself um, that I didn't know 24 hours ago uh, in terms of everything else on the panels or um, things like that, that I knew I was negative for. That information is still the same. Uh, on top of that, not ever having experienced a cold sore and not ever having uh, any symptoms showing um, is like, who would have known <laughs> essentially mm -hmm. like even to this day still not even had one cold sore uh and uh even explaining uh, to some of the individuals that i um communicated with after that uh educating them on how common it is which is a very like like you said it's it's very interesting um how that uh, simple conversation of um this is what's going on this is how um what it looks like across our country in terms of testing, it doesn't happen. Uh, I think the last statistic I saw was like 90%. Uh, it might be less than that, 75, somewhere within that range of people uh, have it. Uh, and I'm no, like, it's about 90% have HSV1 or HS HSV2. And I think HSV2 is around like 60 something. Mm -hmm. But people take HSV2 and think of it as just genital. And that's mm -hmm. not. And people think of HSV1 as just being cold source. But there's actually been an increase of HSV1 being genital because people with cold sores are not having those conversations about that they have it because mm -hmm. they feel like they don't have to or and then I've heard situations of doctors telling them that they don't have to tell anyone and then they'll go down on someone and then they'll have genital herpes even though it is HSV1. Right you know I actually because uh, when I found out and I was talking to the nurse uh, about that she actually mentioned that she was like you uh, it's not uh, anything serious um, you don't really even have to tell anybody I'm like but for me and how I practice my sexual expression, I like to have that upfront conversation with people so that they know what they're getting into. Um, most definitely if it's somebody who enjoys like making out and kissing and stuff like that, I'm like, 
just know that is, uh, even though I'm asymptomatic, that's still a risk for you. Uh, is that something that you're comfortable with? Uh, and if you're not, I understand it's not going to hurt me. It's not going to uh, make me feel less and like, is, it is what it is. I get that. I just don't fit the description that you're looking for and it's fine. Um, but <clears throat> it's so many people who will have to uh, deal with the stigma so often because we are not educated properly on any STI. Uh, we're taught that sex is shameful. Um, having an STI is something to be uh, ashamed of. And it's not. It's just it's just something that's impacting your life like any other kind of uh, infection or disease may um, Im impact you. Uh, if it's something that's treatable, like <clears throat> it's, 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 it's always been very annoying to me that people will willingly have intentional uh, unprotected sex with somebody with the expectation that, oh, I can get rid of gonorrhea, I can get rid of chlamydia, I can get rid of syphilis, I can get rid of this, that, and a third. But when you bring in herpes or HPV or anything like that, it's just like, oh my God, we can't do that. But you're putting yourself at risk for these diseases already. Yeah, and I think that, so my very first rejection that I had, actually, I think I only had one rejection, actually. It was some guy I've been talking to for a couple of weeks, and then I, like, mentioned, like, I had that conversation. And the thing is, before I had that conversation, I went over to his house. He wanted to be intimate, and I was like, I just wasn't into being intimate. It had nothing to do with my status. Um, but when I got over to his house, there was an open box of pregnancy tests. And so in my head, I'm just like, so this is someone who engages at least once or twice, if there's multiple boxes of pregnancy tests, <laughs> um, unprotected sex. And he probably would have been okay with if I had said, oh, let me have sex with you. We don't need a condom. Yet when I'm having this open conversation about STIs, it was like, oh, no, like, uh -uh, I can't do anything with you. I can't have sex with you. I can't do that. And I'm like, you're at a higher risk of getting something from someone who doesn't know their status than someone who actually knows their status. I know what to look for. I know that what prodrome symptoms are. So prodrome symptoms are usually like if you're ever going to have an outbreak, there, that's that tingling that you may get in your lips or genital, if, if it is genital, or you may get an itch or you may get things like that. Those are prodrome symptoms. I know how to deal with that if I ever got that. So, but you're having sex with people, they don't know their status because most people know, most people aren't being tested for it. They may have an itch on their lip and they don't think anything else about it. They don't care. Mm -hmm. so. Like it, <laughs> it, it's self ironic. I, I, I wanted to say funny. I laugh at it, honestly, but it's so ironic that um, we, we are so, not we, but uh, as a society, as a culture, we are so ready to raw dog it. And when you find out that this individual is at risk for something uh, uh, of uh, transferring anything to you, now you want to be like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything. It's like, you, you have all intentions. Like, are you even, are you getting tested? Are you doing this stuff on a regular basis? Uh, because you are raw dogging multiple people. You're not getting tested. And now someone who is who does get tested and let you know that, hey, this is a risk factor. Is this something that you're comfortable with engaging in? Now is it issue? Like the cognitive, the cognitive distance of the of it all just baffles me. Like we're, we, we can be reckless. We can do as much as we want, live free and just fucking fucking fuck. But now that you have a guaranteed or um, not even guaranteed because it's not even like automatically you're going to catch this. But when you have, hey, here's, other, here's the risk factors. Here's the warning. Here's the, what's going on. Now you're putting on pause. Right. You know, what's funny too, adding to that is like what I've noticed because now I felt like I need to be more diligent and just instead of just asking questions, Hey, have you been tested? And I'm saying yes. And going with it, like actually going through and like, Hey, let me see your results. And what I noticed is like people get offensive by that. And that's another thing. It's like, so I want to see your results because you said that you've been tested three months ago or whatever that looks like. And you're offended because you think I think you're dirty. 
Also, first of all, let's not use that language because no one's dirty because they have an STI. They did the same thing that you did. And maybe you have one, you don't even know because who knows, you may not have been tested for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the idea that you're offended that I'm asking you for your results, but you should be asking me for my results. Like mm-hmm. this is how things get spread because people are like, well, no one asked me for results. All of those situations were like, um, you know, guys are going around giving people like HIV or girls are going around giving people herpes and things like that. Did any of these people ask them for their results? Any of these, like, there's a part of it where it's like, yes, no, they shouldn't have handled it in the way that they did by not telling you. And yet that is deceitful. And you are the only person that's responsible for your own health. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the part that had to give me, I was like, man, I can't believe this happened to me, but I'm like, I'm the only one. I can't trust these people. People lie. This is not new. So I'm responsible for my own health. I'm responsible to see these things. Um, And even having these conversations as I was going through my journey and talking to like close friends and being like, you need to start asking people for their results. You need to start. And they would get mad at me. They'd be like, Sharita, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you know, you have to do that, but I don't need to do that because blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, do you want to be in the same situation that I'm in? (laughs) <laughs> Do you want to be in a worse situation than I'm in? Like, it's, it was like people get so offensive when you want to do things and educate people, but you're also very quick to be like, let me just meet this guy and like have sex with them. And I don't know anything about it mm-hmm. because I know for sure for me, I never had raw sex. So if I got it and it was in its genital, it was with a condom. Thank, but and that's the thing that <laughs> that's the thing that uh, amazes me too, because like I do not participate well uh, outside of oral. Uh, that yeah. might be the only thing that I do that does not have a condom. But if it comes to any kind of penetrative sex that's not dealing with oral, then there's going there has to be a condom worn because I'm not comfortable with that. Because one, like it, it like you said, people don't ask about have you been tested. Um, and if you think that you're going to have sex with me without a condom, I'm going to want results of that day because I understand the language of that paperwork, that the language of the paperwork is as of, which means as of this day, there are no, there's no kind of, um, uh, antibodies showing up in your system that indicates that you have this particular virus or disease or well, bacteria or whatever the case may be. So that means as of that day, that doesn't mean tomorrow is not going to be there. <laughs> that like HIV in itself takes three to two fucking years to show up. So you've could have had some type of, uh, STI for some time and you just didn't know or you can have um what is it chlamydia which barely has any um that doesn't always show um symptoms when the person yeah. catches it so yeah. it's like you're and you're, actually the the number one symptom for all STIs is asymptomatic number one right everyone talks about oh well there's nothing coming out of my penis or I'm not the sun I'm like okay it doesn't mean to mean anything facts like and and you're right and I think a lot of people aren't aware of like how I can you can test negative and even if you haven't slept with anyone in three months later it can show up positive because those antibodies did not show up you might have been right just exposed to it and it just didn't show up in your body until later on Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people don't understand that and they see that and be like oh no you just want people to believe that everyone has STIs and everyone has this and I'm like no like that is a real thing like that is that's how antibodies work with any illness (laughs) (laughs) it's like I've had conversations about like how like for just um viruses so like the the herpes or HIV and things like that and they're like well it's a virus and I'd never want to get a virus and I'm like you know that the common cold is a virus Mm. like just because it is there's no cure to it that is the the point of a virus you have plenty of parasites, viruses, diseases, things in your body right now. Like this is, this is the same thing. These are all literally just the same as any other infection mm-hmm. that you can get. Have you ever had chicken pox? <laughs> like, and that's that the thing that always gets me. It's like when, most definitely when it comes to uh, the conversation about herpes, I'm like, I'm quite sure your parents literally took you over to some other child's house just so that you can catch herpes. 
because they wanted you to have the antibodies to fight uh, chicken pox when you get older, or they wanted to expose you to that. So you, it's, uh, it's less, what was it? Less harmful for children to have chicken pox than adults. Mm-hmm. So yeah. parents will literally have chicken pox parties so that all their kids can get it. That's herpes. That is, that's, that's the, the uh, family of that virus. Is, uh, is, uh, is it herpes simplex? No. Is it? I forgot. Um, herpes yeah, I forgot what it's called. Herpes yeah. cluster. And I'm like, this, that is what you're doing. That is, that is essentially what you're doing. And it's like, but when it comes to sexual expression, now we have issues with viruses. Now we have issues with diseases, but we're like, one, the one thing that told me that I cannot fuck with the per, a certain person, have sex with them uh, within the last three years is how they um, acted when it came to COVID or even uh, wearing a mask. Because that tells me that one, you're not out here wearing protection. You, you're not caring about uh, properly protecting yourself. You're not even educating yourself on um, how this certain virus impacts you so well, I can't how do you expect me to trust my trust my body with you when you're not even trying to get quality or actual information about something that's new that's yes is ever changing but the information's here for you to review <laughs> like right in the nerve like I've had guys so since my diagnosis or whatever try to have sex with me raw and I'd be like no I mean I never had sex raw before why would I do it now he's like well I mean I mean, you know, you you have it. I'm okay with getting it. I don't care. And I'm like, but I don't know what you have. Like, either way, I'm not interested in having raw sex with you. He's like, well, it can't be any worse than what you have. And I'm just like, okay, we're not having sex ever. Like, <laughs> like it's just like, <laughs> like, what I've realized is like, so there was this guy that I was, um, like, he was poly. So we would like hook up occasionally. And like, he was having, um, well, not an unprotected sex, but he would try to have unprotected sex with me or like at least have sex with me and right afterwards have sex with other people. And so like in my head, it's like he knew my status, you know? And so it was like, not only are you, now you're putting other people at risk, right? This is how things like this spread. And I'm not saying you have to tell every single person that you had sex with someone who has um, herpes, if it if it was genital, I don't know, because I don't know if it's genital or not, right? But you this is how it spreads you have sex with me knowing my status knowing what's going on and you're not telling any of these other girls you could have been exposed by me making out with you you could have got exposed to it and now you're just making out with someone right like the next day is like and these girls don't know I'm sure these girls are never looking at and not looking at your status or even if they were looking at your results they don't know that you were just exposed to it the next the day before Mm. so I will say I love the fact that a lot more doctor's offices and physician offices, however you want to name it, are, uh, or even just clinics are moving to online platforms for results. Uh, because I used to just have to, um, to make sure I take a picture of my results so I can always have that on my phone just in case somebody asks. Like, I wait and live for somebody to ask me about my results. I don't mind sharing it. Let me show you. Look, this is my A, my a credit score, like whatever the case it is. Look <laughs> at it. Look at my I'm proud of it. Whatever the case may be, whatever I do have in my body, I'm going to be proud of it because I've healed from it. I've learned I can, I'm still a sexual being, but I'm proud to show you my results so that you can share your results with me. So we can at least have that level of vulnerability of, look, I have your information, you have mine, and we can talk about anything outside of that. Like, how how do you we're still having sex with the condom on but still what what things are you comfortable with, with doing now that you have this information um like are you looking to do a little bit more like there's only one person uh i will say well other than like uh, ex-partner but um that i am willing to have sex with without a condom but even that same person knows that they have to do that the same day we're actually having uh, intercourse and those results need to be same day if we're trying to do this. <laughs> Not a week from um, a week before we meet up, uh, most definitely because that person has a partner. Uh, and I'm just like, I don't want anything that's impacting me to impact your life with your partner or anything like that, because I even want your partner to understand what you're getting into also. Um, that's the purpose of 
like being in an honest poly relationship is having those discussions with your partner. If you're not communicating or if you're not um, willing to take those, take that test, it's going to be a condom. It, it is what it is. I, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm still going to enjoy it. Look, I use the bear skins. Just make sure it's even better. So like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then and I think a lot of people aren't even fully aware of like other ways you can do testing. So yeah, you can go to the clinic. You There's free testing at the clinic. You can do online testing where you can send the test results out to the place and then they mm-hmm. give you the results. You can go to your doctor. And then for HIV, there's OraQuick. You can buy that as $40. Literally $40. I can go buy OraQuick in 20 minutes. I'll know whether or not I at least have the antibodies in my body. Mm. And I think so many people aren't even aware of that because if like, I think by having that information, I'm like, okay, so I can see right now that you don't have HIV, right? And I don't have HIV. Cool. We still got to wait for the other stuff, but at least we know this part. Right. And I think it, it, it would be very beneficial to have a lot more at home testing for the other STIs, like um, for syphilis, uh, if it's possible, can we get that, uh, get a test for that for gonorrhea? And uh, some people don't understand that you can have gonorrhea on one part of your body than uh, a, another part, because um, full disclosure, I've had gonorrhea before and it was from oral um so throat gonorrhea um but you know after taking my shot taking my uh antibodies and all that it cleared up and i'm good and uh, all that good stuff but you that's a part that's one of those risks of you know uh having sex in that manner but um it's also good to know that there's you have to check your full body for um for particular antibodies you have to check your throat you have to check your um vaginal canal or even your um vulva or even your anus if you're uh, participating in anal sex just to make sure that you are not uh spreading any kind of uh any diseases to anybody um you have to do a full body workup to just know your actual results if uh if you're that that's why it's important one to go to a clinic um but also to have that availability for those people who are not comfortable with um going to a clinic that they can do that at home um have pamphlets or whatnot of how you can do your own anal swab how you can do your own vaginal swab so you can get your accurate results at home regardless of um your availability to go to a clinic yeah, and they do have some for that. They don't have it for throat swabs, though, at least from my understanding. Because I've done one where you can go, I think, let me look it up. I think it's called, um, I think it's called Norex. Mm-hmm. Double check. But I'll send you the link for it. But yeah, you they do have that available um, where you can, so you'll, they'll take, they don't, they only take insurance, though, of course. Well, you can pay out of pocket, but it's really expensive. So if you have insurance, you can use insurance. <laughs> um, but yeah, they'll send you the packet to you free of charge. And then, um, you know, you have to pay for the what test you want to do testing for. And then they'll have the blood test. So they'll you can prick your finger and put it in there. And then they'll have like the swabs. So if you are female, they have like the vaginal swabs. And you can put it in a test tube. And um, for guys who are who engage in anal sex, they have the anal swab as well. Mm. Um, But they don't have one for the throat. But I do also, with that being said, though, I feel like doctors don't even talk about doing additional body swabs. I know every time I've gone, um, I've had to ask Mm. if they do like um, throat swabs for STIs or things of that nature. They usually just are taking your blood. So I think some of that comes from even like medical stigma about these things. (sighs) like just even with that that just not saying that our health system is inadequate well it kind of is but it's like how how are we uh, as a people as a society expected to have 
safe sexual practices if we're not comfortable enough with educating people on that properly like this is one of the reasons why i am a fan of comprehensive sex ed and i'm also a fan of just having conversations with parents as well as their students like they could be in the same room for a sex ed class because parents Mm -hmm. need to know this information like yes you did the act yes you produce children but are you at a point that you can uh, communicate with your child about their sexuality, their sexual experiences, or even communicate with your partner about what's going on in y'all's sexual life. And that's another reason why I want to go into sex therapy is to help parents uh, parent a little bit better for their children whenever they do go through their phases, go through whatever uh, it is that they may be interested in, or even just communicate um their own sexual sexual expression with their partner um because even now um like the reason why there's so much um uh, there's a a prevalence of uh, not necessarily child pornography but um child molestation is because children do not understand or know consent because they're not taught that or, or they don't know the proper names of the places that people are, have touched them inappropriately because you cannot be in front of a court and say that oh my mom my dad my uncle my grandpa grandma whoever uh, this stranger they touched my pop my papa and they're just like your grandpa no my papa or my gigi is that your grandmother no my gigi your private areas they need to know those words uh it is important for them to know that and it's also important for parents or even those who are not parents just regular adults to be able to address their body parts in the proper terminology to know that okay i need to do a vulva swab i need to um do a swab of my penis um call the thing by its name uh and we're in a culture that we're taught to be uncomfortable with those words. Like even listening to the podcast and hearing those words, there's possibly somebody who's like, oh my God, he said penis. Oh my God, he said vagina. Those are not ugly words. Right. And I think every time like I'll, I'm always like um, saying the real words. And when I like talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, um, using some sort of euphemism for their vagina. And I'm like, oh, so the vagina. And they're like, why are you saying vagina? I was like, is that what it is? And I'll, and I'll use the real word like your clitoris like I'll I'll use actual words for what I'm looking at and what I'm saying because yeah like I feel like people are so caught up on like oh that's my pocketbook or that's my whatever and I'm like no this is what it is and I think there isn't a lot of education just in general about the human body like the fact that the, the vagina is self-cleaning for the most part. So there's always going to be some sort of discharge in underwear. And that's okay. That's normal. And But you'll see these little memes and they'll be like, oh, look, look at her underwear. Someone will take a picture of someone's underwear and be like, oh, there's there's a discoloration there. And you're like, yeah, because my body has normal discharge. It's normal. It's working. Mm-hmm. It's doing what it needs to do. <laughs> right? Right. And that's even like, even when it comes to like the lubricant that um, the body may produce, um, how some people are so, so into, oh, she has to be wet and all this other stuff and not realize that you still need lube. Like I had a student uh, back in the day who was trying to argue me down on why she should not use lube with her sexual partners. Uh, And this is an adult student, people. I work with college students, so. It's, it's all appropriate. <laughs> I just have to put that out there because somebody's going to be like, wait, what? But um, she was arguing me down like, oh no, I'm wet and I stay wet and I don't need no lube. And I'm like, girl, do you not know that you going with spit as lube or even no lube at all, even if that person is still wearing condoms, that still puts you at risk for micro tears in your vagina. Like, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's the thing is like, I mean, I think, you know, there's so much stigma on like, oh, well, that's why, you know, women have such high STI rates and gay males who have such high STI rates because, you know, they're just out here being promiscuous and this, that, and the third. And it's like, no, because y'all aren't doing proper education when it comes to sex and y'all aren't doing what y'all are supposed to be doing to make sure things are safe. You don't know if you have a micro tear 
Like, you know, like if it's that tiny, you may not know until maybe even the next day, right? And you're putting yourself in these risks and thinking, well, you know, my vagina gets wet, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, cool. But also it's okay if it doesn't. Like, <laughs> let's, let's, let's like sit with that too. Like if you are a person who does not get as wet as other people, that is totally fine too. There's nothing wrong with your body. That just means that your body produces less discharge and that's totally fine like mm-hmm. there's no stigma around that either you know like there's some people who really thinks that the uh anus com- um produces its own lubricant and it's, it doesn't it may produce mucus but that's not lubricant that does lubricate in some, um, some way but it's, it's it's not what you think it is if you're going into someone's anal cavity without any kind of lubrication, that also has the risk of forming micro tears as well. That also has uh, issues with um, possibly even having the um, anal cavity like prolapse. Like it is, it's better to use lube than to try to use natural or bodily fluids um, to enhance the sexual experience like even when people are just like oh this person's like i hate seeing this on like porn uh when they're just like oh i got this person creaming and whatnot i'm like do you not realize that's just their um mucus as well as your semen mixed together that's making that color or even some leftover um residue from when they douche their behind their uh, anal cavity to clean themselves out for you uh or even whatever is friction does what friction does so it may look like it's some lubricant no that is just mucus that's that's the same mucus that comes out when you take a crap that's the same mucus that that's there naturally so Lou, people, it's your friend. It's your friend in all types of sexual experiences, even if you like, uh, even for oral, if you want to use uh, a flavored lube. (laughs) But it is your friend. It is your friend, people. Even with self-pleasure, right? If you're using toys, using it is fine. Because I mean, I know, I mean, I feel like everyone's been in a situation where it's like, okay, yeah, you're both of you guys are really, you know, moist and ready or whatever. And then that fan is on and then the air conditioning is on. It just dries everything out. And you're like, <laughs> so it's like, it's better to be in a situation. And then actually, I think there needs to be education on what can, like, you can buy lube. But there are some, like, natural lubes you can use that are safe for vaginas. There are some that are not. I've been in situations where this guy put lotion in my vagina and I said, what are you doing? what are you doing? Oh my God. And he was like, well, you know, I use that to like jack off. And I'm like, yes, your private part is external. Mine is internal. Okay. You don't put lotion inside of me. There are essential oils in lotion that is not supposed to be inside the body. There's so many other oils. Like you can use so many other things, but lotion Girl, I'm just thinking so, about micro tears in that essential oil getting in one. Oh my God, the pussy is burning. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> right. And it's, so it's just like little things like that. It's like there, people aren't being educated on these things. People are not being taught on these things. When we're in sex ed and legally, and, and I think it's like 17 states, you don't even have, it doesn't even have to be correct information that they're teaching you. And those states tend to be um, at the Bible, below the Bible belt there. Um, (laughs) Texas and Georgia. Um, But um, they don't have to tell you those things. They don't have to tell you anything about gender identity, anything about gender expression. And they're so abstinent based. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it's all about fear mongering Mm -hmm. to be like, well, you can't have sex because if you have sex, your penis will fall off. Like crazy stuff just to get people to not have sex for them so when they get adults and realize that they can have sex because their penis didn't fall off the first time they had sex to be hypersexual and still not know anything about sex Mm. see that that brings up two things uh first uh is this is with sex education like I, i i looked into my county's um sex education curriculum and I looked at the book I looked at the service that they use I'm like oh my god this is amazing it's a comprehensive book and everything and I'm like yes 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 but 
I then decided, let me look at the actual curriculum and what they're teaching, what courses are, what are they taking it out? And I'm like, so y'all are using the comprehensive textbook or comprehensive program just to focus on the abstinence only side of things and then the fear mongering side when it comes to sexual diseases and not going to anything else that's within that. It's a whole, uh, I think 24 module program and they're only using five modules. And, and that, like, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Very ridiculous. And um, the second thing that came up is this was like a fucking, <laughs> Instagram discussion, I think they were arguing, I was laughing and making them sound dumb as hell. But they they asked the question, this person asked a question because it was something dealing with that clip that was going around about the um, black woman who's a sex expert, who was saying, you know, the language that we use is very violent. Most of when it comes to women, like pounding the pussy and then the women who was on that panel, they were like, but, but I want my pussy pounded. But like, that's still fine, but it's still a violent language. Like it's, it's nuanced to the conversation. But it's um, under that, someone was like, what makes somebody a sex expert? And I was like, all right, do you really want to know? Because I don't want to be in that argument with anybody who's just want to be ignorant. And they were like, yes, tell me. I wouldn't ask if I um, didn't want to know. I was like, okay. I don't know if that was snarky. I don't want to project, whatever. Tell them to be a sex expert. It requires you to have expertise that can be practical, clinical, wherever the case may be, as well as knowledge of the uh the information as well. It takes time to be a sex expert. And they didn't like that answer. They wanted to push back and all this other stuff, like saying that I didn't tell them or anything. And I'm like, a lot of people don't understand that just because you are having sex on a regular basis and you're doing that with multiple people, that does not make you a sex expert. That doesn't make you an expert in the things that you're doing. That just means that you are having sex. That does not mean that you're knowledgeable enough to tell people what sexuality and sex is just because you're doing it. I can go out here and fix a hole in my wall. It does not mean that I, I can, I'm Bob the motherfucking builder. I, I'm not. <laughs> I fixed a hole. That's it. Exactly. Because like even in my certification program, what people don't know, like as me being trying to be a sex therapist, I had to be a therapist first. I had to be a licensed therapist first which means I had to have my master's which means I had to do four or five years in the field before I can even be in the program for sex therapy right and even for the sex education you had to I think you had to have at least like your bachelor's Mm -hmm. to even be in that program right so it's like it's not just like oh I could just because like there's oh there was an article that came on not too long ago about how like um there's this radio personality, I think, like, uh, what's his name? DJ Envy was with his wife. He, they've been together for 20-something years. And the wife, they have been having sex for 20-something years. They have kids and all of that stuff. And the wife told him, like, 10 years into their relationship that she never orgasmed. Now, you're a person who's having sex all of the time. You're a person, I'm sure y'all are having regular sex. Y'all have kids. And you could, in your head, think you're just killing it. Like, you're the best. You're doing whatever. In, in, ten, in the first 10 years of your marriage, she has never orgasmed. So what does that say about that? Like that, that just means that you've done, you've had sex multiple times. It doesn't mean anything about you knowing what that means. Mm-hmm. And even if she had orgasm, that doesn't mean you are a master of sex. It just means that you really know how to pleasure that particular person. And what she has that pleasures her can be totally different than what the next person has that pleasures them. Mm. And to um, loosely quote, because I know this is not going to be exactly what she said, but to loosely quote Shan Boudram, uh, Shan Booty, for those who follow uh, follow her on that and don't know her full name, um, she said the one thing that she can tell whenever it comes to her first sexual encounter with the man and how uh, he eats her vagina, eats her pussy, is she can tell how his old girl used to like it because that's the person whenever you're engaging in any kind of sexual act and that pleases a certain person and you automatically think oh this is something that pleases everybody 
And it doesn't. That just pleased that one person. Some people are into nipple play. Some people are not into nipple play. Some people um, like their clitoris um, licked or devoured or however the case you, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. Some don't. Some do not like, even when it comes to, if it is something pleasure, pleasurable for them, if it's too much pleasure for them, they are turned off from that. So it's like, you have to know a person. Like a lot of people think that, is, there's an expectation most definitely within um, what I've heard within heterosexual circles where uh, some women may think that just a, a, a male who is a guy who is involved with multiple sex partners or whatever the case may be automatically should know how to work a, a female's body. But you also have to understand just because he has one map does not mean that map is for you you still have to teach this man, this woman, or whoever the, whoever the person is, what you like. You cannot expect them to read a body. That's a, that's a foreign language that they have to now learn. I agree. And I really advocate for women, especially in heterosexual relationships, to say stuff. Hmm. I think there's so much pressure on being like, well, I want to make sure this guy is happy and I want to satisfy him that I know I've done in the past where it's just like I've reduced myself and it allowed him to just do whatever, even though it didn't make me, it didn't do anything for me just so he could finish or whatever. So you really have to find that confidence in yourself and just advocate for it. Because right now, if someone's going down on me and I don't like, I will stop you. I will literally be like, at first I might move your hand and be like, okay, let me move it here. So this is what I want. But if they still continue and insisting on doing something, then it's just like, why are you here? I'm not going to waste your time or my time. I'm stopping you and we're going to figure out something else. Yes. And this is a message for everybody. Do not be afraid to stop sex. Um, Most definitely if this is, I'm not using this in terms of like any kind of sexual violence or anything like that i'm talking about a consensual engagement that you're having with a a partner be it a casual hookup or whatever the case may be do not be afraid to stop sex um you are a sexual being and your pleasure does matter if you're not feeling comfortable enough to continue then stop if you're not uh feeling pleased feel free to stop have a conversation of what is working for you, what's not working for you, because what's the purpose of wasting your time on an encounter that is not going to be pleasing for you? You're just going to be lacking while the other person has this mindset, either they did what needed to be done or they've got theirs, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so mm-hmm. do not be afraid to stop a sexual encounter. I agree. Don't be don't be afraid to stop sexual encounter. Don't be afraid to ask for intimacy if that's what you want. Like if you need to make out and kiss and all of that stuff to get hot and bothered, don't be afraid to ask for that. I know with hookups, sometimes it could be so like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But communicating about that, what you need. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask for aftercare. Like I think so many people, they engage in this like you know, quick one night stands or whatever. And then it makes you feel if you don't have that aftercare, it can make you feel lonely. It can make you feel Mm -hmm. like that shame that comes that we were taught about sex, that guilt that we were taught about sex kind of builds up and it can make you feel like even kind of disgusted. Like, why did I just do this? Mm -hmm. Like, Don't be afraid to have that conversation and be like, hey, look, if I'm having sex with you, I require aftercare. So if you're not willing to have sex with me, and cuddle me afterwards or lay with me or any of that thing that I need to feel satisfied, then I'm not doing it. Hey man, look, I'm, I'm a huge fan of aftercare. Sex with me does come with aftercare. Um, but like that's that it, it is very important that that is something that you take hold of that you do ask for, like uh, even just having a conversation of how you're doing after that can be something that is useful for somebody. But if you're a person who don't, doesn't like aftercare, doesn't require it, then continue doing what you want to do. But just know that that is something that for those who might want to do that, think about that. Make sure that's communicated with, the, with your sexual partners. Even if you're in a relationship with someone or married to them, if you haven't been receiving aftercare, tell your partner, let them know, hey, um do you mind cuddling with me after we have sex tonight or do you mind just after we have sex just having a conversation or can we watch a little bit of tv can we um talk about our lives can we just 
do whatever. Um, do, do you mind rubbing my back a little bit uh, afterwards, rubbing my leg? Sometimes I'm just so tired, my leg tenses up. Um, do you mind massaging that for me a little bit? Whatever the case may be, whatever aftercare looks like for you, feel free and be bold and ask for it. Um, that way you're not constantly lacking within your relationship. Yeah, and I think that's what I like so much about like the BDSM community because it's like before you engage in anything, it's like these are these are my no nos. These are the things that I enjoy. This is what I want afterwards. This is what I want out of this. This is the safe word. Like you have all of that stuff up front. So mm-hmm. then when you actually engage in that, you're like, okay, no, okay, I'm saying pineapples, no more, I'm stopping, <laughs> you know, whatever. But that's why I like so much about that community, you know, having that conversation, being upfront. I feel like it's so, it's so ironic, well, we talked about it, it's so ironic how hypersexual people are, but like just the lack of knowledge of what all sex encompasses, like, mm-hmm. um, and all of the intricacies that come with finding pleasure for both or multiple I'm assuming just one and two people but you know we've talked I mean I've talked about threesomes before but finding pleasure for everyone that's in the situation facts I will say it's it's that time to transition um we're getting close to the close of the show so like I said last episode we're only doing sex questions between me and you so let's see what we have today so, ooh, whom do you spill your sexy secrets to other than your lover? Do you have any hot secrets that you've been wanting to share? So usually like a best friend. Um, I had a really close best friend that I would share with last year. That person has changed now. Like, we, I mean, we just don't talk as much. So I do have a best friend now, but he's like my ex. So there's some stuff that I'm just like... <laughs> I, I don't know I don't go into too much detail about that. right <laughs> um, um and the secret that I have I, I don't think I have any sex secrets I'm pretty open so I don't really have like I'm down to try anything I don't know I, I'm with you on that one I don't think I have any like secret um I will say I do talk to um my best friend from high school and also my line sister uh, about a lot of my random sexcapades uh, every now and again. Uh, I think those are the only two people I actually um, talk about sex with in that detail. Um, if I would say if I do have a hot secret that there's a possibility that there's a porn out there with me in it, um, and I only say possibility because I never got the um, video on my end and I did consent to have taken the video. I, I did not consent to releasing it, but I will also be okay if it was released. Um, <laughs> as long as I, I see what the video is and if I'm pleased with what it looks like, then I will be okay with it being out there. If I'm not, then we got to take that down. But yeah, that that's, I guess, a hot secret, but it's a, a potential or non-existent secret. So I don't know what happened to that video. That reminds me, I guess I do have a hot secret. Uh, I had a one night stand with a YouTuber. Ooh, yes. I support. I support. I'm here for it. That was fun. Uh, Now I need to step my game up. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a celebrity, like celebrity, but I mean, like, but it was cool. Hey, Uh, I'm, there's this one person, one sex worker that actually there's more than one that I really want to um, hook up with. Um, But one's in Texas. So whenever I do, you know, this is the individual I was talking about earlier with, um, I will potentially have sex with, with, um, without a condom. Um, but that person lives in Houston, but the sex worker that I'm referring to lives in Dallas. And I'm just like, look, if, if I'm there, I'm going to be reckless throughout the state. And I'm, I'm okay with driving that four hours to have sex with the sex worker, because I'm a huge fan. (laughs) (laughs) um so the next question is um what do you first remember fantasizing about i guess is that sexual fantasy yeah let's go with sexual fantasy so that i can think of Mm -hmm. we're talking about sex there was this video by d'angelo called how does it feel and uh he was shirtless and i think he had like 
baby oil all over his body. Uh, that was like the whole video was just him shirtless. And I, I want to say like that sparked a sexual feeling for me. But it like back, like when I was having my first sexual fantasies, because I feel like sometimes I'm a little bit more on the asexual spectrum. Like it wasn't like about penetration. It was like all about like super making out and just like boob stuff. <laughs> we were talking about like very first like sexual stuff but like that sexual is just not like penetration wise mm-hmm. uh I, I think my like I don't remember my first sexual fantasy but I do remember my first sex dream um my first sex dream included um two people from my high school this is and I say this was ninth grade year because I have to say that because one of the people in in that dream was not there at the high school when uh, when I was in tenth grade. Um, the other person, it was a guy, and then the other one was a female. Um, the other person, we graduated together, but um, yeah, it was a whole ass threesome that happened, and like I ever since then, I was like, you know what. I, I might be into <laughs> doing that hat one. I enjoyed it. But uh, like, so yeah, I, I, that that was my first sex dream. My th- first sex dream was having a threesome. Oh, okay. So I think my first sex dream was this uh, girl in my high school. Her name was Jasmine. I say Jasmine is such a common name. So I say her name. <laughs> <laughs> and she was a stud and she had these pretty brown eyes. And I was just like... <gasps> I think I only like spoke to her once. I, that was enough. <laughs> mm, love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. Um, well, with that being said, now now I'm just thinking about other sex dreams. Good lord, let's <laughs> right. not go into that. Anyways, uh, it is that time to be wrapping up the show. Do you have any? Um, lasting words tips or advice that you'd like to share to the audience well share with the audience um yeah I would just say own your sexuality and own your sexual health so make sure you know nothing's wrong with hooking up and doing all of those things and making sure that you're having those open conversations about SDEs about sharing sexual results and talking about that and educating people um, if you are positive on what that looks like, transmission, et cetera, and owning your sexual health, your pleasure is important. Make sure that you are advocating for yourself. Like, don't end up in a sexual relationship where you're the, they're the only person that is getting pleasure. Like, you are important <laughs> and your body is important. So if you're not getting it, you can kick them out of the house then. Like, <laughs> And that's on that, on that. Amen. <laughs> Um, that is a beautiful message, and I definitely agree. Um, so on that note, uh, everyone, please do not forget to subscribe to the podcast, follow, uh, like, rate, and review, uh, five stars only, uh, four stars if you feel a little bit some type of way. We don't do no stars. We don't, we, we don't do one stars. We don't do two stars. Three stars is a maybe. We just do five, five stars because if you don't like it, keep on going. I stole that from uh, my friend Nancy. Uh, <laughs> but for real, let's do five star ratings because you love to be here. You love to be here. Um, but again, thank you all so much for being a part of the Hululuki podcast where we step out and speak about sexuality. Just in case no one else told you this today, you are beautiful. You are worthy of happiness and joy. You are nothing then some. You may not live up to the expectations of others, but that is okay. You are only required to walk in your own shoes. May each day you live lead you towards abundance. With that being said, love you all and see you next episode. Thank you for listening to the Holiloquy Podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. You can subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcasting app and find us on the web at www.holiloquy.com. That's www.h-e-a-u-x-l-i-l-o-q-u-y.com. Share the podcast with your friends and join the conversation.